I am your host, Play, and you have chosen Hell Under the Monastery. The evening gloom breaks under the stable boy's lamplight, wherein a couple horses gently snort at his presence, and one submits to a rub on the snout while he checks to make sure that this section has been sufficiently fed. He selects one horse whom he decides could use another serving of hay, and delivers it at the end of a fork before leaving the stable for the night. He discovers the friar he intends to report to asleep in bed, since the boy has been long in his duties and he decides to leave the man be. But in turning back, he chances to glance up another hallway of the monastery, just in time to see a flick of a tail disappear around the corner. In silent panic, the stable boy rushes to the other end to discover that he wasn't imagining things and that one of the horses has gotten loose and was now milling around in the monastery. Barely containing his alarm, which harmed the horse's composure, the stable boy attempted to pivot the curious beast at the head and lead it on out. But he no sooner pivots it than it lets go, and it shakes its head in relief, violently resting his hands from his face. No, I didn't want a good night's rest tonight, complained the forlorn stable boy, and he finally managed to lead the horse on out, and he had also yet to be seen by anyone else. So having the grace of not yet being discovered, the stable boy returned to the scene of the defilement, and needing to place a lamp on a stand to work by, he commenced to clean up after his wayward animal. In the course of his work, he noticed that the lamp had a sway, which is to say a peculiar habit to never find its rest or stillness in such a place as was the intention for all things in time. So having completed his shovelfuls and returned with a bucket to wash the actual stain at hand, the uncircumscribed stable boy took the occasion to examine the curious lamp, which maintained a steady if gentle swing this way and that. He grasped the base in a bid to steady it, and gazed upon the flame to notice it bowing before a breeze that one should doubt would conduct itself this many rooms into the interior. So then he observes the small hairs on his hand bow in the light and realizes that the issue was not so much a breeze penetrating from outside, but a draft from within, deep within, somewhere between the wall cobblestones that would require mortar. But in order to request the materials, he would have to explain to the monks why he was in here, and they may chastise his oversight that a precious horse might have just as easily fled into the night. The boy slides his hand over the stone wall, and in short order believes he has chanced upon the point in need of repair. The air sucks on his hand in a slight vacuum, which is hardly overpowering, yet a singularly strange sensation to him. He presses his hand again to fathom the sensation and triggers a switch that withdraws too soon for him to see, as the section of wall before him launches into a violent tremor. The monk that the stable boy did not want to disturb before now bolts his eyes open and flying to the door of his quarters he discovers his brothers flying in a panic this way and that, whom none will take interview as to the cause of the fright. He narrows his gaze to an unseen place in his mind and gasps at the thought of the vault opening. The friar rushes to the scene and indeed discovers his stable boy there frozen in fear. He wraps an arm around the young man's middle to hoist him up and backs him away from the open door. You can't go in there, he shouts. A little too much since the thunder is just now subsiding. What's down there? Hell itself, he answered. No, it's not. You're lying. Let me go. The monk swung him around. I never lied to you. Combined with tearful eyes, the stable boy summoned a defiant stare to meet his old master's gaze. You're lying. 
No one should bear false witness. You said so. I am not lying to you, the old monk repeated gently. For the first time in his life, the boy forced himself free from the grip of the perhaps too feeble hands and took his lamp to race into the exposed tunnel. Forlorn, the old monk searches for a light in the hall and pursues his ward into the vault. For the extent that the lamplight could shine ahead of him, there was nothing. But the stable boy soon came up to ten mummified remains lining the wall with five on each side. Ahead was an archway and a row of knights' statues standing vigil. As the boy minced toward the center of the room, though he could little tell the extent of it, a small sensor on the interior side of the arch blinked its sign of life in a little blue light and attempted to strike the overhead lights on. Several bulbs burst in a flash the moment they were supplied with power, but one or two remained whole, even as the boy didn't have the space to appreciate it, since the foreignness of the light combined with the malfunctioning flash sent him attempting to retreat back up the cavern only to blindly run dead into the belly of the friar. There is such a thing as too much light, commented the old monk. You said this was hell. Why did you follow me? Satan does not try men's hearts in the same way. And for you, this is a trying place as it once was for me. I had rather hoped to finally leave it forgotten by all and let no one else learn of it. But you tried me, young man. You will know the history as others did long before me. The old monk guides the young man to a pedestal at the head of the room. There lies a deeply corroded hand pistol with a magazine of bullets still lying next to it. Do you understand it? No, master, what is it? Think of a crossbow and then shrink the bolts supposing you could stack them perfectly, and so the weapon you hold fires again and again with ease. Who made it? Our ancestors, once, long ago. This one being an old worn-out specimen, in this condition it's far more dangerous to anyone who might try to use it than any enemy you care to imagine. Then why keep it? Because we noticed that we were forgetting, so some of us tried to remember. But I have the sense... So much else remains forgotten. Look at the Everlamps. True, I don't know what causes them to perish, but two yet remain, and I have never had occasion to supply them with oil. Such is what came before you and I, boy. Such is what we lost. What happened? We're told that God smote us with the sun. I'm sorry to say for what, I don't know. But it stole our works. So we are as we are now. He didn't take all of it. You said more of them used to work. Indeed, and you should have been met by them at the vault door, but such is how many have failed. Now that you know, I suppose you will be the last one to know. When the light finally goes out... The artifacts that remain will appear strange, but will never so clearly illuminate what we lost. Do you think that God forbids us this light? Boy, I somehow doubt the Everlights were our sin, but what men might do beneath them. There must have been such fiends as you or I could never imagine. Thanks be to God that we don't have to. Are we... Are we rid of the fiends, then, Master? The old monk frowned with a heavy sigh. 
No, my boy, we are not. The final judgment hasn't come. We yet live in the world. This is just one place of old days that, in truth, are filled with mystery for you and I. But for now, we might observe the lost days and live sure in the knowledge that none may escape his wrath but the faithful who serve him. Now, come along. I don't remember you coming to tell me your chores were finished. <laughs>